Stops in Greetings, everyone. Thank you for joining Turning a Moment into a Movement. My name is Jay Love, and I represent the Justice for Gerard movement. Gerard is my son who was wrongfully convicted for a crime he didn't do. And because his journey of wrongful conviction, I created this movement. So thank you for joining us. Today, we have a special show. I know we are normally on Fridays, but we're here today because there's an urgent issue going on at uh, Michigan Department of Corrections. And we're gonna have this discussion today and hopefully bring light um, and awareness to what's going on and how we should move forward. So I'm gonna start this show a little differently um, because I normally um, bring in a panel, but I'm gonna bring in um, my special guest to Ferry Brent because he is the one who um, initiated this whole, um, um, what's going on today. So I'm gonna bring him in. Hello. Grace and peace, Sister J Love, how are you? I'm wonderful, how are you? Uh, busy, busy, busy. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. So mm -hmm. introduce, so normally I have everyone introduce themselves. So introduce yourself and tell, you know, our viewers what it is that you're doing, uh, what you do and what you're doing, and the reason why we're here today. Uh, yes, grace and peace. My name is Brother Tafuri Brent. I am, uh, of course, uh, a men's minister at Fellowship Chapel. Uh, uh, I am also, of course, a 30-year uh, uh, urban peace and justice activist and soldier and servant. Uh, I come up under the leadership of Ms. Clementine Barfield from SoSide and the mentorship of Dr. Earl Henderson and so many others. Um, and uh, we've been doing urban peace and justice work for, you know, like I said, for decades now. And then, of course, uh, I'm a criminal justice reform organizer, advocate and activist, police reform, uh, reentry expert. You know, that, that speaks to, of course, brothers and sisters coming home from from prison and helping helping them to transition back into society. And uh, we do a number of other things as well. Uh, but those are my those are my um, my core. Uh, that's my core body of work and my core passions and my calling, of course, of course. Mm -hmm. So tell us, um, I want you to tell everyone a little bit why we're here today, because um, your call was urgent. <laughs> Yeah, well, no, I, I mean, I, I, we can just talk about, I know you had, you have been doing some work in this space, of course, you know, uh, uh, especially in light of what happened to your wonderful son and the mis mistreatment and, of course, the misappropriation of justice uh, that he had to uh, suffer through. And thank God for you and your strength and courage. You were victorious and, 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 and your beautiful son is home uh, and doing well. So we praise the Lord for that. And we thank God for you and your courage and your steadfastness, right, and your discipline and drive. But, you know, all of us who are part of the discussion today uh, do some work, you know, uh, in criminal justice reform and uh, some others more so than me in prison reform, right, which is why we mm -hmm. have Nick and Brother Durrell, 
But we're here mainly, you know, just to speak to the fact that there are some issues within MDOC uh, that are directly the result of uh, Heidi Washington's horrifically poor leadership, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, um, uh, you know, you have uh, uh, correctional officers at multiple facilities who uh, who have been uh, victims of uh, discrimination and mistreatment, you know, uh, based upon what several of them have said, at least 30 of them, from my understanding. Uh, you have issues, of course, with uh, facilities not having uh, water and not having hot water, which was the issue at um, Lower, uh, Huron Valley with, you know, the sister's prison, the female prison. Uh, of course, the boiler had went out and sisters uh, didn't have water. And it said that sisters were, you know, sleeping in areas that they you know, normally would not sleep in. And the living situation wasn't at its best. This is according to um, sisters who are who are currently <laughs> in over there and their family members. Then, of course, you know, the issues at Lakeland and you got issues at Woodland. You know, you have an issue um, at facilities throughout the, the state uh, where, um Lawsuits have been filed against the MDOC for blatant uh, discrimination and mistreatment and unfair treatment of the corrections officers. And of course, if MDOC, if they don't treat and respect the right and dignity of uh, their corrections officers, you know good and damn well they're mistreating the brothers, uh, the brothers and sisters incarcerated. You know, uh, so just, there's a litany of issues. There appears to be some systemic institutional issues. We know inherently and historically, you know, prisons don't rehabilitate people. You know, prisons aren't necessarily the best environment for our, for our people to be transformed in. Right. Um, it's just a reality, uh, you know, but uh, when we have, when we clearly see, you know, numerous examples of mistreatment, discrimination, and uh, um, and uh, poor living conditions being provided for our brothers and sisters, you know, who have found themselves in that situation, some of them unjustly mm -hmm. uh, have to, as citizens, and as their brothers and sisters, and as a part of uh, and as members of the community, we have to stand up and speak out. And it is my intention that Heidi Washington has done a horrific job as director of the Michigan Department of Corrections. She's done a horrible job and she must go. Heidi must go. She yeah. has failed over and over again. I mean, even everything from the Griffey case, we have the husband and wife team who are in leadership in NDLC being consistently denied you know, access to promotions and, and better employment opportunities. Uh, We've had uh, numerous, uh, we had two uh, two uh, deputy wardens uh, who were uh, uh, up for promotions at six different facilities and then denied uh, denied access to uh, those warden positions. Uh, and all this, you know, is based upon their claims, is based upon racism and discrimination. You know, you have uh, at one facility at Woodland, you have over 30 corrections officers, black corrections officers who you know, who are being mistreated, you know, in a myriad of ways. And then not to mention some of the horrific mistreatment of the brothers who are incarcerated, you know, at some <laughs> facilities. You have folks, brothers who are eating off tables and uh, not being proper mental health, not being the pro not being given the proper mental health support and resources, you know, not being transferred to facilities that are best to, to meet their mental health needs. You have brothers locked up for hours upon hours you know, uh, standing and sleeping and sitting in their own defecation and urine, you know, and not being um, uh, uh, not being allowed to clean themselves up. You know, you have all this kind of foolishness going on and really uh, uh, brutality from, from my standpoint and horrific subhuman mistreatment of brothers and sisters, you know, who are incarcerated and need to be addressed. And it starts with uh, removing the director of MDOC. 
Well, someone said um, Charity, who's um, watching, she said Lakeland just went on a two-week lockdown because of COVID today. My mm -hmm. husband almost died in April of 2020 for COVID. It's terrible. Yeah, there are 148 people have died from COVID, um, um, and that 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 should, that, should, that should never happen. You've if it wasn't for the NAACP, Detroit branch, and Brother Daryl Woods' leadership. They wouldn't even have, you know, uh, the kind of face mask they're supposed to have. I think Durham them got 30,000 mm -hmm. uh, for the Michigan Department of Corrections. You know, the appropriate, proper, medically approved face mask, whereas, whereas NDOC was giving them, you know, the call face mask, which we all know scientifically doesn't provide the best level of protection, you know, mm -hmm. for our brothers and sisters um, uh, incarcerated. I'm saying so. I mean, everything from the, you know, the elimination of NPRI, you know, uh, just the poor reentry servicing. Um, uh, for our brothers and sisters slated to come home. Um, it's just, there's a bunch of issues and it all speaks to the poor and horrific leadership of Director Washington. Yes. I'm going to bring on Daryl Ishmael. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Daryl. Good Daniel. evening. Good evening. How are you? Daniel, I know you, um, um, you do a, a podcast, um, Notes from the Village. Um, where there's um, incarcerated individuals come on and um, discuss what's going on. So um, I know you heard Tafir, what Tafir was speaking on. Can you add to that, um, what you're hearing? I want to uh, echo everything that Brother Bryant has, has mentioned. Um, it, and it is a long laundry list that can easily go on and on, particularly if you start citing individual cases and individual instances that collectively add up to this cesspool of a mess that MDOC is. I've been uh, engaged with uh, the incarcerated since 2011 now, and I couldn't imagine myself doing this work the Lord brought me to it, and now it's been almost 10 years. But I've not seen any substantive change since I started this journey. I've not seen any wholesale uh, overhaul. I've not seen any strong first world type of progress being made in areas of reform of the system. Mm -hmm re-entry services, uh, rehabilitation. I've not seen it. And I have their testimonies, the, the, over, the notes from the village is uh, the website. That's www.nftv.online. We, 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 put, we put their stories on, on this website. We also use YouTube as an outlet. Brothers will call in and they'll tell us what's going on. And we record those phone calls with their permission and their knowledge. And we post it and we share that information. So it's their testimony. Um, early on in the uh, pandemic, we were receiving phone calls and there was some mounting interest in a lawsuit. And a class action lawsuit. And I received phone call from 
lawyers who were interested in obtaining those testimonies to help serve their case. Um, there is there is so much that we could talk about in terms of various cases of, for, for instance, this, that, and the other. But as the brother Brian has said, it all goes back to the head of the department. The book really does stop there in terms of ultimate responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Yet and still, the onus is on us as a people because that person and that system will sit there and they'll only do so much until there is an outcry from the people. Our voices have not been amplified enough. Our outrage has not been outrageous enough. Uh -huh. And I, I have to, I guess I have to tread carefully in saying some of these things. Um, we saw on the news other countries what was happening when persons in their who were incarcerated in prison facing COVID, we saw some examples of what they did, very extreme examples. And some people turned their head and say, oh no, never, no, they shouldn't do that. They should, but some things changed. And until we as a people on the outside and on the inside decide we've had enough, We're going to keep taking it. We'll, we'll keep having these kind of podcasts. We'll keep having these kinds of stories being shared. But when will true substantive change actually happen? Not until we get tired and fed up. And I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take. Um, I'm not a, I, I don't have any sons. I, I thank God for you, for what you've been doing, Joy, uh, for intentionally being a voice and making some noise and being consistent and steadfast. There are so many mothers and sisters and fathers and brothers. We have loved ones who are locked away on the other side and we all need to be doing some version of what you, what you are doing, creating a platform, going out to the town square, standing on it and crying loud. I'm sorry. That's that's all I would say. Thank you. <clears throat> yes. Um, welcome, everyone. Um, um, I'm going to start with um, uh, Revetia. Introduce yourself, Shawana. Go after the Trisha, Hugo, Matt, King, and and uh, Nicholas. Go ahead, Revetia. I am just so blessed to be here today, and I thank God for what you're doing, J Love, in the community. Um, turning a moment into a movement because now is the time for us to really start moving. I mean, we've been moving, but making, actually making transformation, uh, that time is now. And I like what um, Mr. Darnell Ishmael had spoken and said, you know, this, this thing has been going on for a long time, but the question is, are we tired yet? You know, and I've been in the community for, for quite a while. I know when I was working on my master's, we, we were talking prison reform back then in 2006. 
And like he said, there has not been any headway with that. And what we have to know is uh, in the community, I'm a behaviorist. I work at, at an elementary school, uh, working on my doctorate, um, and also a minister at Transforming Love Community. Um, I'm, my goal is to motivate, educate, and encourage everybody to access the power that always rests inside of each of us. And now is the time to utilize that power. And, and what we, you know, today we have to take our families back because this is a system that they have organized through the years for hundreds of years to keep us in a position of that is similar, you know, to slavery, which it is slavery. When you recognize how many corporations are benefiting from people who are in prison and how they don't have to pay for any type of health care, they don't have to, they don't get any pensions or anything else. They get free labor once they have criminalized an individual, regardless of what the crime is. We have been looking at countless of stories where it'll be a minor offense and life in prison for people of color. And here we are today. Yes, Tawana, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Reverend Tia. Such a blessing. Yeah. Um, it's so good to see you. Absolutely. Um, I was had the pleasure of joining me and my sister Trisha this, this Sunday at Huron Valley Prison for Women because the women are calling and they are asking for help. And it is unconscionable to believe that nearly 800 women have COVID in Huron Valley. And all I've been asking for is for the health department of Michigan to go inside and see about these women. They tell me they don't go inside of prisons. Well, I'm a taxpayer and I know that's not true. And so I'm so glad to be here today to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. But, you know, all the prisons that I deal with here in Michigan are being hit. Um, I spoke to Mr. Leroy today at Gus Harrison, and he told me there's 51 cases just on his on his floor and nothing's being done. And I don't think having a mask that's made out of the same stuff as your pajamas is adequate. When MDOC got the same COVID relief money that every other prison and state got all around the country. And so I'm, I'm, I'm asking Heidi Washington, where's the money? Because if I follow the money, I'll know where the crime is. Because if, if you got money for COVID relief for, for people incarcerated, yet they have no relief. They have nothing. They're dying. And I don't understand. I, this, the measures that I'm calling for are not hard. Why are guards not being tested daily? Because they're the only people that can bring COVID to a prison. They do not leave prison. COVID is being brought to them in excess daily. And, and I just think it's an atrocity that there's been no relief for women in COVID. They're not being released. If your sentence is a year less, why are you not released? If you're medically frail, why are we not released? Heidi Washington has power and a pen, and so does the governor. And it's not being done. And so, 
you know, like letter writing is nice, but we've been really nice and we're not getting results. And so I'm, I'm really happy to be here with like-minded people because there has to be a solution. It's an election midterm season and we got to put our money where our mouth is. Do or get out. And that has to be the conversation. There's no other conversation. Yes. There's a question if one of you guys want to take it. And uh, it is, what is the governor doing about the institutions and the mishaps that's going on with the inside of them? Not enough. I mean, obviously not enough, right? And, 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 and as far as I'm concerned, the only acceptable response starts with getting rid of Heidi Washington. She must go. I mean, she is uh, she has performed absurdly. And really, it's uh, to the sister's point, the fact that you haven't had any compassionate releases. I haven't looked at that data, but I trust my sister. There hasn't been any compassionate releases or the like from Huron Valley. And you got over 800 sisters uh, inside of that inside of that prison uh, suffering from COVID, four that have died. And then just recently, again, the boiler went out and they didn't have hot water. And then not to mention the fact throughout the throughout the system, you have folk without adequate water and they claim they claim to be giving dialysis treatments. I don't know how you can do that with well water or unsanitized or untreated water. I mean, it's subhuman and it is. These are slave like conditions and it's absolutely reprehensible. And uh, any any remedy for me must start with uh, uh, Heidi Washington being removed and fired. Anybody else? Uh, uh, how, how you guys doing? Uh, Introduce yourself, Daryl Woods. I'm, I'm Daryl, a friend of Nick. Uh, uh, is it? Is I think the focus. <laughs> We're all friends of Nick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the focus uh, should be about uh, what Teferi was just talking about uh, in terms of uh, a decarceration process that need to take place, you know, uh, you know, the conditions is, we're going to always be challenging the conditions and we're going to always do that far from the healthcare, from all of these other you know, issues that comes up. But when you're talking about uh, people uh, that can be released, identifying people that can be released I think that we that's the, that's within the purview of the governor that's in the purview of the parole board and that we need to be laser sharp focus on that. You know, uh, uh, yes, I, I'm sympathetic and empathetic for about some of the racial discrimination going on uh, with within the department, you know, but imagine this if. Uh, correction officers are being discriminated against and parole supervisors are being discriminated against. Can you imagine what's happening to the men and women uh, inside uh, the Michigan Department of Corrections? You know, Donald Trump had a compassionate release program. You like him or not, he had a compassionate release program for those with COVID. And only thing we're saying is that people uh, who are close, you know, you got a lot of people that's close to their release dates. You got people who are eligible for parole uh, and who will more likely get a parole because Michigan now have presumptive par parole. Then we need to start identifying some of those men and women and start 
expediting them out of that system. Rather you put them on a tether, you put them on whatever, but get them out of harm's way. You know, and so we strongly encourage a, 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 a operation or a, a apparatus that, that take place that that get men and women out of harm's way. You know, I know of many people who have died in that system. Um, I'm very, very grateful for uh, Representative, uh, former Representative uh, Sherry Gay DeNogo, Representative Tanisha Yancey, uh, Senator Stephanie Chang. We have been beating this down uh, for months and months and months. And, and it don't look like we're going to get out of COVID anytime soon. So now we need to take take another uh, look at this thing. And the way we look at it is how we get the men and women out of harm's way. That's my number one thing right there. Exactly. Hakeem. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Appreciate this conversation. Um, <clears throat> I'm excited to be participating in this conversation, especially with all these warriors that we have that's gone in front of me and those that will speak behind me and all those that have uh, chimed in uh, in the comment section uh, throughout social media, listening to this important conversation about what has been termed a crisis. And, and as everyone before me has spoken, um, we are talking about a crisis, something that deserves immediate attention. We talk about COVID-19 being a global crisis. As a global crisis, uh, governments, communities, health departments, institutions, uh, everyone and everybody, all hands on deck, responded immediately, created policies and protocols um, to immediately act to safeguard uh, humanity, to safeguard communities, to safeguard societies. Um, and, and so what we see when we talk about a crisis of this magnitude impacting people who are currently incarcerated, in which I myself have been incarcerated, so I'm directly impacted and have lived through crisis-like scenarios inside incarceration, when we see that these institutions um, <clears throat> operate nationally in this country, we're talking about the U.S. and here in Michigan in particular, they do not have an emergency management evacuation policy for incarcerated individuals. They do have emergency management policies related to staff, right? Or out in our communities related to uh, 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 an for animals, animal shelters. But for those that are incarcerated, there is no actual emergency management protocol policy enacted anywhere in nationally, not even in the Federal Bureau of Prisons, that would take into consideration uh, an emergent crisis such as a tornado, for example. If a tornado was to hit any institution in the United States of America, they do not have an emergency evacuation plan for the inmates, for those who are incarcerated, whom they call inmates. There's no p policies in effect for that. Uh, for hurricanes and, and other forms of uh, uh, disasters, such as a COVID-19 COVID health disaster. So what we're talking about, you know, are, are all the other issues surrounding uh, uh, the, the, the major magnitude of, of what happens when there's not an emergency management protocol or policy. We see the, the, the different fallout things that there's not anyone there to be paroled, anyone there to be compassionately released, right? We see that those things aren't there because behind that, there's no emergency management protocol or policy. But importantly, and what's most important is that 
The DOC, the MDOC and the Department of Corrections across the country have always operated as if they have immunity, as if they have immunity from oversight, as if no one can oversight them, as if our state senators and state reps who represent us, the public body who run all these institutions that are tax funded, right? As if they don't have the right to come in there and oversight them and oversee what's going on, as if, as, as, as Sister Shawana said, as if our medical institutions, right? don't have the right to come in and, and immediately say, wait a minute, we have the medical clearance to come in here and find out what's happening here at this level or at the political level. And that's where we talk about pushing movement and pushing change. We've been willing to, to willing to have conversations and negotiations, and we forgot about how some of the things were achieved in the past. People made demands and expected results from those demands because the people are the people that represent the governance. And we forget that. And so we talk about removing people from positions in office when we inflex our power because of our uh, because of our civic responsibility and our civic power of being voters. When we flex that, then people get moved around. When we don't flex and voices aren't heard, voices aren't heard and nothing is done. So I'm glad to be part of this conversation. I'll yield the floor to the next to my brother, Hugo Mack. Much, <laughs> much love and respect. Um, Hugo Mack, some of you know me, some of you may not. A criminal defense attorney, candidate for Washtenaw County prosecutor attorney because the change we seek has to come from us. But the people never have a chance to make change if qualified people don't step up against all odds. I understand the prison experience. Served 10 years for a crime I did not commit. Came out and through the grace of God was able to regain my law license, something never been done in the history of the state of Michigan before. So I'm grateful for that, but I'm also grateful if it encourages other people. So just like the Brother Keem was talking about and other people have been incarcerated, I know what it's like to be in that dire situation. So it, it, it's not sympathy, it's empathy. I, I feel that pain. I don't sympathize with that pain. I feel that pain. Although in my experience, there was no quote unquote COVID, there certainly was systemic racism, okay? You know, there was certainly the idea of the infamous John Engler. I would stack them like cordwood if I could, you see. During my penitentiary experience, that mantra was alive and well. And the the problem has been so systemic and long going when the parole board changed from a civil service position to a political appointment position, you see. That's what that's what happened. And then in terms of the legislature, woefully, woefully disappointing even with a lot of the Democrats, because the most the legislature gets is an accounting from the MDOC in terms of budgetary matters. And you know, if they got a position like a legislative liaison uh, in terms of inmates or an ombudsman, uh, the, the, these things are largely, with all due respect, uh, in a, ineffective in terms of dealing with the problems that day-to-day -day inmates confront. And you all know, and I'm preaching to the choir, serving a sentence for uh, B&E, all right, in the state of Michigan is not a death penalty, all right? So if you keep a man or woman incarcerated in, in a killing field, you essentially have sentenced that person to death. Oh, yes, you have. But I tell you, part of the problem that I have in all candor, speaking to you, my, my colleagues in justice, even in the African-American community, this seems to be a lack of concern for people that are behind the bars. And, and I think that's a vestige of slavery that has rolled down on black folks, 
that it's not me in there. It's not my brother, not my sister in there. They're in there. Let them stay in there. Shouldn't have, you know, don't do the crime if you don't do the time. Of mm. course, you can't tell that to Robert Blake or O.J. Simpson, you see, because they had money to see they got some justice. OK, but the average man and woman, particularly a woman or a man of color, does not have that that opportunity. You know, I've been supportive of initiatives to try to get people out of the penitentiary uh, even even before COVID. And I was shocked and, and disheartened by some of the black community in in Wayne County. You know, most people are released. Wayne County's largest county in the state. Detroit is largest city in the state of well, no, where are they, where are they going to go? You know, uh, you know, we ain't got enough jobs out here right now. And it's so discouraging in the sense that we see people from other countries like Afghanistan. I don't know if, if you're aware, but in, in Detroit, they have initiatives there to give people from Afghanistan houses, getting housing vouchers. And I'm not talking about tenement housing. I'm talking about like single family housing. Okay. So you know, we have the wherewithal as a people to rehabilitate and reach out to people we want to rehabilitate and reach out to. So the people from Afghanistan that are coming into the state, they're looked at people that really need help. But the brothers and sisters in the penitentiary that are there that are dying, those folks have been allowed to be marginalized. And so that's why I'm proud to be on this panel. And we're going to keep on pushing this ball. You know, we, we're pushing it uphill, but uh, we got some strong shoulders. and I know we're going to get there. Thank you, Attorney Hugo Matt. Nicholas Buckingham. Hello. Hey, what up, though? Uh, what up, everybody? Nicholas Buckingham with uh, Michigan Liberation. And yeah, just uh, I'm really honored, you know, to for this conversation to continue. Um, you know, as the brother Teferi said, like having targets, right? This conversation has been going on since the onstart of COVID. And you know, Jay, Trisha, you all were involved in the organizing efforts to, you know, one, start to target um, a lot of the issues with the MDLC prior to what's happening with COVID. Um, understanding like a lot of legislative um, actions is putting us uh, where we're at right now. But we've, we've done our actions. We've done the protests. We showed up outside of MDLC headquarters. We talked to the governor, the lieutenant governor, um, and also the attorney general. And it's complete silence, right? Where we see, um, you know, one or each of these individuals kind of like poke around in other areas. But when it comes to those who are incarcerated or systems of oppression, this is where the silence really get. And, you know, when we started that, that movement, um, well, it was over a year ago now, um, you know, we went in there with real demands, right? It wasn't, uh, some fictitious thing of like, let's just shut down the prisons and let everybody out right now. But looking at policies and legislation that one is very draconic. Um, and as the pendulum is starting to swing a different direction, a lot of these legislation and policies need to be changed. Um, I think one of the biggest that uh, could definitely save a lot of lives um, and stop folks from coming in contact with this virus is repealing the truth and sentencing uh, policy. You know, looking at men and women that are incarcerated in Michigan for the work, the time that they are putting in and offering up good time. The same thing that's happening within the feds. Um, there's good time uh, that's offered within our county jails. But when we look down into the state uh, prisons, it's like this is something that can't happen. And we know for a fact that, you know, the impossible can happen when we were doing um, a lot of our organizing around this in the beginning. 
we started to focus from MDOC into the county jails. And we went to the county jails. We put lawsuits on the county jails. Uh, we talked to the prosecutors and to the sheriff's office. And we started to see, you know, small momentum changes that was happening. They started to let more and more people out. Uh, Wayne County Jail, you know, emptied out two jails and only had one jail that was in full operation. And a lot of folks that were, you know, locked up inside of the county jails, their bonds came down to a significant amount. We actually seen people that had uh, $1 and $5 bonds and we were able to go in and bail those folks out so that they would not become in contact uh, with the virus. But I think it's very common sense, right? Uh, people that are very close to their outdate, there, there's no risk. Uh, you know, there's scientific proof and evidence that men and women that are over a certain age uh, don't want to sound too ageism on here. But men and women that are, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old that have put in 15, 20, 30 years, uh, you know, the, the, the proof is in the pudding. These folks don't come out and commit more crimes. Their recidivism uh, rate is real low. So I think there's a lot of myths that we, especially as Black people, have been sitting on for decades um, when it comes down to the release of individuals from incarceration. And I mean, you have some on this, this, this panel right now, myself, Daryl Woods, Hakeem, that you know, we have went through incarceration um, and not only have we went through it, but now we're the mentors, we're the organizers, we're the activists um, that are helping, you know, other individuals that have went through the prison system. So this myth of if we start to let people out, that crime in our communities will rise. That's not true. Crime hasn't fallen in years. Prison hasn't kept anybody safe and they haven't stopped any crime in the community. But what we can do as a, as a community and collectively is start to look at um, you know, the legislations that needs to be changed. This year is very pivotal for Michigan. Um, you know, just as Heidi Washington is a target, so is our governor. Our governor cannot be quiet. And we also can't do this friendship thing, right? We can't target folks because there's this friendship that's in the middle. And that's what we heard between the governor and Heidi Washington. Right. Um, it's not just us that's formerly incarcerated that can speak on Heidi Washington. But as Teferi said, it's the correction officers. It's the folks that's incarcerated. It's the people that's right there in Lansing that's sitting inside of the, the chambers that will say this is wrong um, and things need to be changed. So, you know, I'm encouraging the community to pay attention to what's happening this year. Um, you know, there's been some small momentum things, but it's time for us to start moving mountains. And if we don't, all of us will have blood on our hands because we're leaving men, women, and also the children. Let's not leave the children out of this conversation within mm -hmm. the juvenile justice uh, detention centers. If this virus is running rapid in the community and the prisons, it's doing the same thing within our juvenile detention centers. And we already know from history, right? Um, a lot of these folks, they don't care for black bodies. And when we look at our prison systems, you see a lot of the, the racist antics. Um, Adrian, for example, I can just, my heart goes out to the men and women that's in Adrian. I know uh, Shawana spoke about um, one of the prisons in Adrian and it's a racist place. It's a racist community. Uh, when I was there, I remember seeing officers that would brandish the swastika signs on their arms, on their backs. They would cut it into the grass. So to say, like, it's not a myth when we say that this is a direct replica of slavery. That's right. um, it just take a hot minute to walk through some of these institutions, which the governor is not going to allow, you know, some of us to do. It's definitely not going to allow people in government to do it, to see what's really going on. And we just have to keep beating our drums and getting our community to move their feet to make changes with the MDOC. Yes, thank you. 
Trisha Duckworth. Hey. Hey, y'all. I am honored to be amongst you generals in the faith tonight in the fight. But if I could be quite transparent and honest, I'm tired of talking. I'm tired of the negotiating. I'm tired of the sidebar scraps that we get from these people. I'm just tired of it. Like, to be honest, none of us can say we the expert at this shit because, excuse my French reverend, <laughs> because, you know, ain't nothing getting done. What's happening? Nothing. I had, I, you know, it was so funny. I had somebody tell us when we were doing the thing on, on when we were doing the action on Sunday. Well, that's not the proper way. Huh? Well, what's the proper way? Because your way ain't working too much either. You ain't moving too much either. See, it's one thing to build power as an individual. It's one thing to use that power as an individual to help individual people. But we're talking about a collective. I had to remind that person. You, you fighting from the, from the place of fighting for your loved one. We fighting for the place of fighting for everybody. What about the people who ain't got loved ones? What about the people who don't have husbands and wives and family members because their family members have died off because they've been there for so long? We got to get clear about the problem if we're going to really, really understand and provide the proper solution. And the proper solution is that it's not just one way to do this. If there was one way to do this, um, it'd be done. So everybody has got to put their hand to the plow and somebody poke at the left over here. Somebody poke at the right. Somebody take the middle. Do whatever it is that God gave you to do and come together and work when we can. See, that's when we can build. But we take so much time as activists. Well, that's not the proper way. And this, and what about that? We got to stop with all them isms and schisms and really get to the root and start to demand action. I mean, obviously, they say if you do the same thing over and over again, and it does, and it yields those same results, they call that insanity. I'm, I'm just tired of this insanity. I participate too, because I be doing stuff and it ain't working either. But we gotta do something. We can't just sit back. There are so many people, and it starts with us. We're doing operation accountability right now. What does that mean? It starts with us. We can't hold these legislators accountable, but we won't even take our ass to the polls. We can't hold these legislators accountable. How many of us go to city council meetings? How many of us go to commissioner meetings? Commissioners hold the purse string for the entire county. We found that when COVID took place, local government was more powerful than the president. We've seen that. We've seen that the governor was making all the decisions. We've seen that the money was coming into the county. Those are the places that we got to be at. And we have to stay there and be there proactively. A lot of times we just go and then that's it. We don't go back. We got to stay at the table. We got to keep our hand to the plow. I'm telling you, if we, if we let up, I think about those women that was screaming out the window to us. That was crying out. Thanking us for being there. And I'm saying, you thanking us. Thank you. Thank you for sharing so that we can come and stand in the gap for you. We got to be clear about what's going on, y'all. And, and there's no, understand there's no one way to fix it. 
Again, everybody put their hand to the plow and let's do this work. Amen. Amen. Yes, Trisha. Teferi, I'm going back to you. Um, you started this off, so. Well, no, I'm just I'm just so happy to hear from uh, fellow uh, uh, soldiers and freedom fighters uh, doing this work. Uh, I just, uh, all of you guys and all of you uh, ladies, you know, I have a great deal of admiration for and I respect your work. Uh, I really appreciate the stuff that Brother Nick and his team is doing in regards to getting uh, brothers and sisters out, especially he brings the mothers home. I really, really love that. And we try to invest in that. And I just appreciate the great work that everyone's doing. I appreciate all of you who went up to Huron Valley. I hate I couldn't be there, but I will be at the next one. I just saw it flash across about January 16th. Uh, and I would encourage us all to continue to, you know, there's never been major change in this country without perpetual pressure. So I know we're tired of marching, but uh, marching works. We're tired of demonstrating, but demonstration, demonstration works. We're tired of protesting, but protesting does work. Now we may have to change the trajectory and the target of our uh, of our outcry and of, and of our outrage, and we can do that too. I mean, we organized over twenty thousand people and and marched on Governor Snyder's house uh, a few years ago. Some of you may remember that. Uh, I'm saying so we can do the same thing on Heidi Washington's house. We can roll up on the front porch for all our care. I, I mean, I'm with you. We have to do some more radical, some more aggressive things if that's what it takes to save the lives of our brothers and sisters who are on the inside because they are our family. Right. Uh, so we I mean, I'm with that. I mean, the, we have the solutions right here. This group, this panel, we have every resource. We have every connection. We have all the resources right here, right here on this panel to go fix this thing. Right. And I will commit myself to it. Uh, whatever, whatever you need me to do for my location, I'm with you. Uh, I think we need to look at targeting Heidi Washington's, Heidi Washington's crib. It's time for her to get this work. You know what I mean? That's right. So let's roll up our five, six, seven thousand deep. You know, and roll up on her front porch. It's time for her to get this work. I mean, that's just what it is. And you know, we all we all connected with the media. We know how to get the media out. I think we just had to work together, put together our collective uh, genius, genius and brilliance in our relationships, and we can make that happen. So that's what I propose. Uh, we need to pay uh, Miss Washington a visit. And this may cost me some things. This may cost me some relationships, but I don't give a damn because it's costing our brothers and sisters lives right now our people are dying on the inside 150 we went from 148 to 151 in two days our people are dying people who get locked people who sell dope people who break into people's cribs people who uh, 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 run and hustle credit card scams they don't go to prison uh for no death penalty there's no death penalty in the state of michigan they don't go to the joint to die you know what I'm saying? and people are dying it's not just older people it's younger people as well and I don't care if you're young or old, you still belong to me. You know what I mean? You still somebody daddy, somebody husband, somebody uncle, somebody auntie, somebody son. You know what I mean? And I, and, and I have absolutely no appreciation for the fact that you have an aggressive, compassionate release type of program here in the state of Michigan. And Brother Woods and Brother Nick and all of you here have identified brothers and sisters who would be excellent candidates to come home early right now, especially in prisons who don't have, who don't have good and clean and healthy water. They need to come home right now. If you got that, if you need dialysis, you need to come home right now. No, a good and damn well, you don't have no good water in there, right? That's crazy, you know. So I'm, I'm with sister. Let's turn the rest up, man. Nick, I know you grind me with it. Find out how he watching this address. Let's, let's roll up. <laughs> Get it, Nick. 
<laughs> and we got the bail money, so <laughs> it's whatever. <laughs> but I think, you know, just to slide in, I think, you know, to very right, right? Like we it's the the pressure is on and it never stops. Um, and as you see, like everybody that's on this panel, we're all in the lane for a reason, right? Where Michigan Liberation is a C4 and a super PAC. So that's political pressure. We have a couple individuals on here. I'm not going to say names, but they have that insider outsider role uh, where they, you know, they're in those spaces that I can't get into. Right. Many of the folks that I'm organizing, they might not be able to get into. And then also just in the community, um, you know, talking to neighbors, talking to your loved ones, talking to the folks in the churches and the mosques. And like we have to continue to have that conversation, to be in dialogue with one another. And the other important piece is like we have to be in control of our narrative and it has to be a collective narrative. Um, you know, there's no more of the establishment or the system telling us what our narratives are about mm -hmm. incarcerated or formerly incarcerated folks. No more of them telling the narrative about prison reform, abolition or anything else. Um, I believe, you know, once we are able to match that narrative to the, the, the power that we are exemplifying, you know, we'll start to see that change. And I am, I'm one of those folks. I like to see instant gratification, right? I, I want to see something happen tomorrow. Like we're having this panel. I'm hoping uh, the Lieutenant Governor is watching, right? Like that's my homie. Um, and I know he's homies to a lot of folks on here and he doesn't go silent. You know, like he reaches out, he talks about these things, but he's just one person, right? Um, and we have to, you know, not only put pressure behind him, but also what does that support look like for those that are speaking up? Um, on the behalf of saving lives uh, behind bars and MDLC. So, yeah, political pressure, street pressure, all of that down the roll up on people's houses. We've seen, you know, some folks, they like, oh, no, you can't do that. That's a, a form of violation. Um, you know, what, what folks are going through right now is a big form of violation and it's violence. And the more that they stay silenced, you know, we, we know the, the, the coin term to that. Um, silence is violence and we can no longer allow those folks that we're putting our endorsements in, our votes in to stay silent about the deaths um, that are happening within MDLC. Right. Look at what the truckers did in Colorado. I know, right? They shut down the whole state. And that young man's um, sentence was reduced from 110 years to 10, and they still going to fight that that 10. So it could be done. It, it, we can apply a pressure right here in Michigan. It's the it's absolutely, you know, time is the time is absolutely ripe. Yeah. Uh, you have you have actually the governor the Secretary of State, the Attorney General, all the state reps, the congressional leaders, it's, op it's open, it's a wide open race. And it's been a big shakeup uh, with this redistricting thing. Mm -hmm. And so the power is in our hands. So, you know, you know, that we solution driven. We ain't, we ain't no punks, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know, a, a, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We got the power. Exactly. You know, they don't have the power because they uh we're gonna either rehire you or we're gonna fire you. You know, and so they gotta come talk to us. And the way they come talk to us, we we have to be organized on, you know, hey, those who in the uh certain communities, they are one issue. 
<laughs> you know, they have an issue. This is my issue. Um, uh, the gun people got their guns. You know, these folks got this and these folks got this. We got this. Criminal justice reform must be on the ballot this year. If you want to win, uh, then, and if you want our support, and we will organize in numbers. We will organize in numbers uh, because that's what we do. Uh, Michigan Liberation, I know for a fact, sent out uh, over a million text messages and knocked on thousands of doors. Nation Outside uh, knocked on thousands of doors. We was in the jails. Uh, you know, we was even reaching inside the prisons. And so it's enough synergy right here just alone that's on this call to build this thing in a matter of men to ferry we went in harper woods and uh got rid of a judge and put a put a african first african-american judge up in there you know uh you know so it could be done and it will be done you know so our focus is that yeah, these folks want uh to either be rehired or some other folks want to be hired and if they are not standing on this issue and i'm hoping they listening right now that they will not get the support of us, period, point blank. You know, and so there are some things that you can do. And, and we, ain't, we ain't talking about, you know, we ain't even asking you to empty the whole prison system. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we just saying have a common sense, compassionate approach about uh, what's going on right now and then going forward. Good time is just an issue that's is it's a humane issue it, it, it's the right thing to do you know and that's going to be on the ballot this year you know because we say it's going to be on the ballot <laughs> you know and so let's 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 get the work done that's uh, that's you know me and Teferi were talking last night we 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 organized we we energized you know i know all these folks on this call i know hakeem i know nick i know I, you know we ready to go let's go Dura Ishmael, I know you're in a uh, abolitionist, you know, position. What are you feeling? Um, I'll try to be very quick. Uh, prison is slavery reformed, and there's no way that we can actually reform it and it not be a still be something like slavery. It needs to be abolished, and that might be a long term plan, but we have to make it move in that direction. There's a, a, a profession called actuarial science, and they've they got people who are employed to run the statistics and find out how much are these bodies costing? How much do we make if we let this one go? How much do we make if we retain this percentage of those who would be paroled, et cetera? And they're making monetary decisions based on that actuarial science. We need some actuarial science on our side as well. I've not seen that from our side of things. How does actuarial science support us from a financial standpoint about imprisonment? We also need a manifesto. Martin, Martin, he was, a riot is the language of the unheard. We've not been heard. And we need to present a manifesto in some outlandish type of a way because it's not gonna come politely. 
The change is not going to come peace with just, okay, with a bunch of meetings. It's not going to happen. Um, and lastly, I would just say that we need to create systems whereby there is money on this side of the wall. How can, and I, we mentioned this in our, in our last, when I was here before, how can money be generated in our communities based on the return of those citizens coming back to us? Because when money can be made, community will get behind some of that. So I think that there's, there's, some, there's some work that stronger minds than I need to be doing in those areas. Um, but God bless everybody for the work that we're doing. You know, we, I only, only can do what I know to do in my own little space. Hakeem. <clears throat> yeah, I appreciate the, uh, the words of wisdom, the guidance from each and every one of you that have spoken and presented tonight. And, and as I was mentioning early, that we are talking about a crisis. And I, I want to keep that word elevated throughout this conversation, um, because as we mobilize and organize and prepare and plan to execute and strategize uh, for our success, um, a part of that is how we communicate that with our communities. We need to our communities to understand that this is a crisis that is impacting us and how that crisis is impacting them. Because a lot of us, we, we, we speak so passionately and purposefully uh, and we be speaking for ourselves because we are directly impacted. So we we talk in the we about us, but really it's the conversation is within community, right? And so the crisis that is impacting us, our community needs to understand how that impact is impacting them, right? Not only is it impacting them for, for, for our community's fathers, brothers and sons and mothers and daughters, and grandmothers, right, and aunts and sisters to be incarcerated, that's a crisis in itself that our, that our communities are continuously, you know, generationally, annually, right, ushered from our communities to incarceration, from incarceration to supervision, from supervision back and forth to incarceration or recidivism route, right? That in itself is a crisis. And we need to have that conversation with our community to elevate that so they understand how that is impacting them, how that's impacting our families, how it is impacting how we're losing our voting voice when people go to prison, they are no longer allowed to vote when they get incarcerated, right? That impacts us there. It impacts the family support, the father support, the mother support, all the various familial supports that is lost by one person being taken from our community, let alone a multiplicity of people taken from our community. But then at the same time, we have to talk about how the impacts of the long-term sustainable uh, uh, conditions of confinement what it does to us traumatically, mental health-wise, what it does to our people who are inside, who are returning to us, ultimately. Not everyone in prison is there for life, right? Mm -hmm. Upwards in some situations in some counties, you know, because different people come home in different counties. Some people coming home in 75, 85, and 90% of the people who left those counties are coming home within five to 10 years, they will be returning back to our communities. And if the conditions that are happening inside the institutions are not changed and, and, and not eradicated 
so to speak, because we are talking about evolution in the long term. But if they are changed and he, you know, evolved so that we can really adequately address the conditions in a real humane way uh, uh, until we get people, until we get the institution itself deconstructed and e abolished, then we have to really place emphasis on how we're going to move that conversation to our community so they understand the impacts that it's having on them. And so we're talking about a crisis. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the crisis within the Department of Corrections and how it is impacting us all. And so I just want to elevate that word um, in this conversation. Right. I, I'm glad I'm glad you said crisis because I'm sorry, because um, because I don't want to say in the long term anymore. Uh, for, we, 400 years is long enough. We've done that. It's long enough. OK, so what we do know, we already know. Prison doesn't stop crime. We've already said it doesn't reduce it. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't protect the community. Somebody already said that. And it doesn't transform lives because they don't care. So we have to care about us. And I, my question to you is my question to everyone that I, I know everybody on the panel, this is talking to the choir, but I'm talking about our brothers and sisters that we see out in the community. When I say brothers and sisters, I'm talking about the Caucasian brothers and sisters too. I'm saying that what narrative are you walking with today? Because sometimes you just, people just go by what they hear. And there is a horrific amount of laziness that I see where people do not want to do their own investigation to find out the truth. Find out the truth of a matter. When you find out the truth of a matter, then you can find out, okay, what did Whitmere do? What did she do? She signed an executive order in 2020, March of 2020. That's what she did. She signed an order. Oh, that was so sweet. Yeah. See, we are so sometimes politicized. We're all into the politics. We're all into the lies. We're all into the demonstration or the fakeness that happens within politicians. So what was that executive order? It was screen everyone who enters or leaves the facility. Restrict all visits except for attorney, limit off-site appointments. Okay, listen to what it, what it was, what does it say? Develop and implement a protocol for incarcerated persons with COVID-19 symptoms. Okay, provide appropriate personal protection equipment to all staff as recommended by CDC to the fullest extent possible instituting stringent cleaning of all areas and surfaces ensuring access to adequate personal hygiene supplies practice social distancing in all programs and classroom and minimize crowding now i can look at this list and i can tell from the list that the prisoners were not being cared for. I can also tell from the list that everything listed on the list is not being done. It is time for people to be held accountable. When it's a lie, it's a lie. And I'm not gonna wait another year 
to give another excuse of why we need to be really nice about asking for what is right. Yes, um, Reverend Tia. <laughs> yes, Reverend Tia. <laughs> Go ahead, Shawana. <laughs> Reverend Tia, you better get it. Um, thank you, Nick. I want to say thank you to Nick, first off, for really being an ally and, um, and sharing and being available. And it's appreciative. But in this moment... We need to, like Trisha said, I don't really like to negotiate anyway. This is not negotiation season. People's lives are at risk. And we have nothing to lose but our chains. And women and men are dying at rates that are unacceptable. And so I'm with everybody who wants to march on somebody's house because I got bail money. And uh, Darnell Ishmael, your conversation was amazing, and I appreciate it. They were talking about water. The men at Coldwater are telling me the water is still brown and smells, and they're telling them it, 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 they're cleaning the pipes. So whatever excuse for the whole year, unacceptable. And so it's much to be done. And listen, I love the people that are incarcerated here. And I fight for them like I fight for myself. And I wish somebody would have fought for me like I fight for myself while I was in prison. And so I'm not compromising on myself. So I'm not compromising on them. I don't want to play nice. I'm not coming here to shake your hand and tell you good job. You give horses sugar cubes and you give seals fish to do tricks. That's what we're giving politicians and they give us shit. So how about we really allow them to understand it's Malcolm X time, the ballad of the bully. What we gonna do? Where This is where we're at. It, 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 legislative, I, I, Nick showed me a write-up of a lifetime. There's no way that that shouldn't have been done already. Everybody has galvanized in Michigan. Everybody has marched on Michigan. Like, I'm with Darnell. Burn this bitch down with the baby in the bathwater. Throw it out. Because there's no reason there's no good time. There's no reason there's no truth in sentencing. I mean, at, at this juncture, it's go to Lansing and sit there and tell them niggas we ain't going nowhere. Because I don't understand all this niceness. It, 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 I don't it, it, it be, I'm bewildered by the niceness because it's not getting us anything. It's not getting the people out of jail. It's not getting truth and sentencing. So guess what? If they had Lansing in the Capitol, lock them in there. If you put a human chain around it, they can't go nowhere because guess what? They don't they work for me. I don't work for them. We all pay taxes. And how dare we go beg somebody in a country that we built? We built the jails that we sit in. Why am I begging you in my grandpa's nation? Get the hell out of here. Meet us at Huron Valley on the 16th. But anybody want to go to Lansing into a whole human chain? I'm with it. Because guess what? Nice ain't going to work. We've been nice. I like Martin, but I'm not Martin bound. 
I'm Marcus Garvey, Malcolm X bound, because everything else ain't going to work. We already know we in the burning building. So how about we do something else and fight for these women? These women got bacteria infections. They're still being raped. We heard that on Sunday. Why are we addressing sexual assault and women? This is one of the highest prisons with sexual assault I've ever dealt with in the country. And if you can't tell me that you got women now raping women, you done put the men outside. They done got a $4 million lawsuit and you, we still talking about sexual assault? Heidi Washington needs her ass whooped because guess what? These are not her daughters. They don't look like her. They're not raping her children, so it doesn't matter. This is, this is egregious that we're still talking about sexual assault after a $4 million lawsuit. Time out. I thought it was a hundred. What in a hundred million dollar lawsuit, Daryl? Yeah, it was a hundred million. Yes, oh, wow. yes. <laughs> then, 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 it, then it was higher than I thought. And if that's still our conversation, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. They say yeah. that they was willing to pay that much and still not stop sexual assault. That's and, crazy. But watch this, though, Sister Sharana and the bastards then turn around and promote Willis Chapman, who was found guilty and fired for raping at least three, possibly six sisters. Heidi then turns around and promotes this bastard to, to a deputy director position. Yeah. He's in that position right now. And then for what I'm hearing, that particular department that he was promoted to is a department responsible for investigating sexual assaults. <laughs> I'm hoping that ain't the case. But if that's the case, I got a real problem. And I've already made this known. I met with the governor's chief of staff and with their top uh, legal counselor about four days ago about a bunch of issues, but I specifically spoke to that. And I told them straight up, Heidi has got to go, and we're going to mobilize until she's gone. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Tafari. I just want to just work really quick. I got to say thank you so much. And Shawana, and I, I just... You know, because when you've been in there and you know it's it's so important, everybody here, um, what we got to know is the women in prison, I want to tell you how they change things. Because we call it rape. But do you know in some of the studies, you know what they changed it to? They changed that to forced pregnancy. Do you realize that most of the women who are having babies in prison got pregnant in prison and they called it forced pregnancy it we can no longer allow this to happen they're talking about some people some of our governments can't go into the prison just for me to do a study in the prison, I've got to do all of this criteria to promise that I'm here to do good. I have to test and I have to take an ethical test. And yet we have unethical leaders who are not only leading our nation, leading our state and leading our system of corrections that doesn't correct again you you everything is on the ballot this year 
That's you right. Know? You know, so we have to be solution driven. You know, it's good for us to, you know, be emotional and all that. You know, uh, we feel the pain and the suffering. We experience the pain and suffering. Some of us only <laughs> experience it in the worst kind of way. You know, uh, uh, however, we have to be solution driven. Everything is on the ballot this year and you have to organize around that. He's showing you <laughs> the leadership chart right there. It's on there. It's on there. It's clear. You know, we, we stay in the war room. When, you know, and the thing is, I know all of us, and we, this is the war room right now. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that this is our time to move. This is our time to strike because everything is on the ballot. The attorney general, the governor, secretary of state, uh, state reps, state senators, uh, United States Congress, is on the ballot. I gotta, I gotta see. I gotta do the. I haven't did my study on if any Supreme Court justice is on the ballot uh, this year. You know, what I'm saying that possibly might be on there too. You might sh sh see a shift in the pendulum of that, which is absolutely he said too, yep. which is absolutely critical. Yep. Yeah, absolutely critical right now. You know, we was able to flip the court. Uh, Nick, uh, Tefer, all of us. You know, we organized around the court. That was one of my pet peeves. Uh, you know, yeah, folks was looking at everything else. I was looking at the Supreme Court, <laughs> you know, you know, because I understood the, the importance of that. You have a case right now that's pending on the Michigan Supreme Court called Michigan People versus Pool that can change the juvenile life of law uh, from at least 18 to possibly 25, you know, uh, which is vitally, vitally important right now. You know, and so we have to be critical thinkers. We can't be emotional, super emotional, you know, although our emotions are involved with this, but we have to be critical thinkers and understand how to move and how not to move. Now, you, you know, many of you guys are defunders. I'm not, uh, or, uh, or I say an abolitionist. I'm not an abolitionist, <laughs> but I, I'm unified with you. You know, <laughs> we, we unify. There's no uh, disunity because I, I'm not a, a abolitionist, you know what I'm saying? I'm not that, you know what I'm saying? But I understand how to work with any and everybody who's talking about overhauling and abolishing a major parts of the system, you know what I'm saying? And 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 if we get to abolitionists all the way, I'm sure it'll be done the right way. Hey, so be it, you know what I'm saying? So there's no arguments with that, you know what I'm saying? But understand that there's unity and diversity and we have to understand how to work together. You know, Nick is a young, thoroughbred guy, you know what I'm saying? You know, uh, and I work with him with Michigan Liberation. I have some good fun, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and we ain't, he wanted Ryan to be closed. I wanted Ryan to stay open because I wanted, I wanted the, uh, the men and women from up, up north, you know what I'm saying? I want them to close their stuff, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But Nick still my man, you know? So we have to understand how to work together, stay unified, stay focused, and stay the course. Because it's this is this is our season. This is our season. And when I say our season, it's those brothers and sisters who languishing behind prison bars is their season. And we're gonna help be a voice for them to continue to speak truth to power. Yes. 
Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of it is, and you brought up Ryan Road, and I, I actually had a, uh, a thought about Ryan Road um, a few days ago, you know, just looking at what's happening at Heron Valley, right, and to put emphasis on this um, and why why we're particular about Heron Valley. And for the folks that's watching, if you don't know, um, you know, the, the whole incarceral system is generated around men. So yeah. men, you know, I don't know where we at right now. I want to say we have about 32 active prisons um, in Michigan. It might be a little bit more, right? But the women, right, have only one prison. Um, and when we look at the statistics today, the fastest growing population to be incarcerated is women, right? The fastest, um, the, the, the group or the population that have the highest recidivism rate as of today is women. Um, and if our women prisons are constantly growing and growing and growing, but they have no other place to go to, right? They're all being um, oppressed in this one building in order to find room in this one building that is over capacity, they're starting to open up different wings that have not been occupied in years. Some of us had the, I ain't gonna say the pleasure, but the opportunity of reopening up certain prisons here in Michigan and things that we dealt with that we're still hearing today, black mold, dust, mice, um, the rodents, right? It's, it's the inmates. I don't use that language, but it's the inmates that open these prisons up that clean these prisons. So, you know, here it is, the virus is already attacking um, your body and you're being forced to go open up another portion of a prison where, you know, here's more things that's gonna be attacking um, your body. And a black mama's bailout, you know, I often say that when we incarcerate a black man, it disrupts the household. But when we incarcerate a black woman, it disrupts the community and to see, you know, the amount of sisters that are in Heron Valley that are screaming for help. Um, you know, this is a disruption to our community that we are in and to the community that we are looking to build um, in our in our future, you know, and also, um, you know, it's just it's really it's just a sad thing that we have these folks that are crying out. This uh, all of these traumas and atrocities did not just start in 2020 or 2019 when COVID became a thing. This has been the conversation, the topic of conversation for decades. You know, I came out of prison in 2012 and to talk about the conditions that I was going through were the same conditions men and women were going through in 2002, 1992, 1982, all the way into our past. So it just, it's, it's a continuation of, of harm and trauma, specifically on black bodies, black and uh, brown bodies that are incarcerated. And when you look at who's overpopulating these prisons, it's us, right? It's us with uh, very minor crimes. As the brother Hakeem said, you know, 95% of those who are incarcerated right now will be going back home into their community, your community, um, in the next five, 10 to 15 years. It's only a small portion of folks that are actually doing life um, within our systems. And, you know, that's something as a community we have to be prepared for. In Detroit, roughly between five to 7,000 people are returning home every single year. Every single year, these folks are coming home. So we, you know, again, I'm going to go back to the myths. We have to stop the, the myth conversation that there are no jobs for these folks to come home or that crime will rise once these people come home. 
I went to prison for armed robbery, a very violent crime that not only impacted my life, but I deeply understand the impact that it had on the innocent victims of my rage. But when I came home, I didn't commit more crime in my community. I actually had more men and women that stepped up and, and grabbed me by the hand, uh, like the brother Daryl grabbed me by the ear and said, yo, let's go. Um, and let's start to make not only changes in my life, right, but start to make those pivotal changes um, in the community. Last thing I'm going to say is, you know, in Just Leadership USA, um, there's a slogan that's often used that says those who are closest to the problem are closest to the solution, but furthest from resources and problems. I'm in the School of Social Work at University of Michigan. I can't go to Becky from the Hills and talk about the issues that my black body or my black brothers and sisters are going through and expect for Becky from the Hills or Sam or Karen to actually make a, a, a pivotal change for all of us. It's going to take all of us that has actually been through systems of oppression. We've been through poverty, the lack of education, the lack of employment. We've been through hard hitting communities to say, yo, enough is enough. Not only are these people tired, but I'm tired too. And this is how we start to implement that change. And that, you know, we all said it collectively. I'm, a, I'm an abolitionist myself, but understanding that abolition is long-term work and it also starts with healing first. Um, and we need those pivotal reform policies to come in place because right now, like abolition ain't about to get folks, you know, away from COVID. We're not shutting nothing down. Um, but there can be small changes within our system so that we can start to save somebody's life, right? And that's that's why I have to go back and say we have to be on the same narrative. I don't want us to have a separation, a conversation of separation to say only uh, nonviolent versus violent, right? Um, exonerees versus those who are not exonerees, right? Like we're all in this, we're all deeply impacted by the system one way or another. If you've never been incarcerated, trust me, you are still impacted by the system. If you carry around an ID, you drive a car, you have insurance, all of these things, fail to pay your insurance and get pulled over, yeah, you're impacted now, right? Mm -hmm. um, so there, there's so many ways that this system is interchangeable with the ways that we're living our life. And collectively, we have to be one voice saying something that, you know, is going to move not only our community, but the powers to be up top. Um, and we have to be relentless about it, nonstop. You know, something that I was thinking about, I think Jay is gone, um, but we have to find a way to engage or reignite the mission of our churches you know, when I look at the work of Jesus, Jesus did not close himself off in a building and bid people to come unto me. That's not what Jesus did. He was out there with the pimps, the thugs, the drug dealers, the prostitutes, the people that needed him the most. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. I think about the scripture that says, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. You didn't bring me none to drink. You didn't come visit me in prison, right? These things are very much important. I'm telling y'all right now, if you're going to a church and what is going on in the Michigan Department of Corrections is not at the forefront of your pastor's mind and he's not talking about it across that pulpit, if he's not advocating about it, get out his church or her church. If this is not the forefront, I mean, come on now, you got to think about it. The civil rights movement was led by the church. Was led by the church. Where we at? We too busy shouting, clapping, spitting, slobbing. That's great. That's great because that builds you up, right? But when are you going to come out 
from among those four walls and begin to build up the people because that's what that's we've got to if we're doing things like Jesus did we've got to introduce folks to Jesus they ain't checking for us in church they ain't checking for them four walls they're out in the streets where they're broken and they're hurting they're in prison where they can't come to church but we have a prison ministry. I think Shawana was talking to me about that. We'll have a prison ministry. And the goal is to get socks to the people in prison. If that is the goal of your prison ministry, I'm going to need you to renegotiate. I'm going to need you to come back to the drawing board and figure out what it is that you need to do to become proactive. Stop saying you want to be like Jesus when you're nothing like him. Yeah, I think if I, if I may, sister, I thank you so much, Sister uh, Trisha, uh Sister Duckworth, and you're correct. I mean, what you're speaking to is really the substratum of Black liberation theology. I mean, we understand Psalms 82, 3 through 4 says what? It says, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked, right? Luke 4, 18 through 19 said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news uh, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, right? We know right there it's actually talking about Jubilee. But the reality is you can't claim to love God and you ain't out here serving, serving poor folk, right? You ain't out here housing homeless folk. You ain't clothing naked folk. You ain't visiting incarcerated folk. You ain't standing up for enslaved folk. You know what I'm saying? So if you're not doing that work, don't talk to me about Jesus. I don't believe you, right? You can speak in all the tongues. You can do all the Holy Ghost dance. You can not drink, not smoke, not sleep with sisters or guys or whatever your preference may be. But if you ain't out here working and fighting on behalf of those who have been marginalized, ostracized, stigmatized, and oppressed, if you ain't out here housing folks who don't have homes, clothing people, clothing people who don't have clothes and feeding folk who are hungry, you ain't no damn Christian. You a fraud. You a fake and a phony. Straight up. So I'm glad you brought that up, sis, because that's what the gospel looks like. That's what the beloved community looks like, right? That's what Jesus stood on. You like the brothers say, that's what he stood on. And that's what we need to stand on if we're serious about this work. So I'm glad you brought that. I mean, because I really believe that right now we have in church. I believe right now the saints are right here on this panel. We got nine saints of God right now on the panel. And I feel the Holy Ghost all up in all up in here. And the tongues I'm speaking in is Heidi Washington got to go. That's the tongue. <laughs> I'm speaking in tongues. Heidi got to go. She got to go straight up. Yesterday, right? Yesterday, she got to go. So I'm ready to go, man. And, and we got to talk it. We got to walk it. We got to protest, demonstrate, organize, strategize, lay down, go to jail, write policy. We got to do all that. It's not either or. Like my brother said, inside out. We got to do inside out, whatever that looks like. And we got to be, and we have to be willing to make the sacrifices necessary. So I don't think, ain't no wrong on this panel. Don't nobody on this panel got a bad idea. Ain't nobody on this panel on the wrong side of the fence. We all on the right side of the fence. Even if we have nuanced, dynamic disagreements, that shit is petty, man. Really, in the grand scheme of things, because everybody on this, everybody on this panel love black people. Everybody on this panel love all of us want prisons to be abolished. Ultimately, they gotta go. Because, because the reality is, if we speak and address the uh, uh the conditions that compel people to indulge in criminal behavior, you won't need no damn prisons. People commit crimes for a reason. 
And I'll be glad when I can find an elected official who speaks to illiteracy, which, contrib which contributes to criminality. I'll be glad when I can find an elected official that speaks to substance abuse, that speaks to fatherlessness, that speaks to the mental health issues, that speaks to trauma-informed care, and all these things that creates criminals, that speaks to white supremacy. White supremacy creates black criminality. They created, they created us. They're to be held responsible for that. So you want to turn around and create the conditions that get us incarcerated, and then you want to own, fund, and finance the prisons too? Go to hell with that, you devil. <laughs> Go here, Hakeem. <laughs> now, don't put me behind that fire right there. You know, the brother set it down, the mic was dropped, you know. <laughs> If somebody else can take the mic, go ahead, you guys. Let <laughs> the church say amen. I'm <laughs> going to start to pass the collection plate. <laughs> you got to give the mic up to Ferry. He didn't, he didn't drop the mic. <laughs> give all the money to Nick so he can get some more black mamas up. Yeah. I mean, look, we're going to always do that. Uh, and, you know, we, we started to shift the program. We're always going to focus on black mamas, but right now, you know, as the brother Hakeem says, it's a crisis and um, everything yes. like that's coming up in there. And, you know, I, yeah, uh, to fairy, like we hear it, right? We we get, we get know the side talks and all that. Um, and it's been so many people, especially of our own kind, to like tear us down about why we bail out black mamas. Why do we only focus on black people? And when you understand like this racial dynamic that's happening within our criminal legal system, you would definitely understand why we focus on black mamas and mm -hmm. um, and black folks. And, you know, just let's just lift this up one more time here on Valley. Um, you know, that's not a prison full of white women. Um, it's not a prison full of privileged folks either. Right. And we're, we're leaving folks behind um, people that they should have been home a long time ago, especially if you sit back and listen to the stories. You know, shout out to Kimberly Woodson. I've been seeing the. Um, the, the Facebook chats, Kimberly Woodson with Michigan Liberation. She's holding down the campaign to uh, repel truth to sentence and bring back good time. And she has a plan, you know, to go across this entire state to organize folks um, to understand why good time is such a need and an importance. But last year, uh, Kimberly introduced me to several women that, that spent, they spent a lot of time in prison, um, 20 and 30 years. And to hear the stories that they talked about. You know, I think sometimes we we have this uh, idea that to correct them, we have to throw them away. We have to punish them. That's what rehabilitation in America look like. It's through a form of punishment. But when you hear these women tell their story of how they became criminalized, how they ended up um, in prison, sad to say, a lot of it is because of our God, uh, us men, right? Uh, throwing the blame and everything else on the women. And then it's them that's doing the time for us while we're out here just skating life. But these women told stories about, um, yeah, these, like these women, they told stories about being in prison, mm -hmm. but then coming home, right? Uh, like we, we can sit here and yell and fight all day about bringing folks home, but we also have to have systems established that can uh, rightfully help these folks when they get here. And as I said earlier, like a lot of this system is designed to help a man. A lot of the reentry programs and services that are around are designed for men and not much for women. And so these women were telling stories about 
um, you know, being placed in homes and housing that was infested with roaches and rats. And this is where um, they was forced to live. You know, they had a curfew to, to be in these homes more than the time that they can be outside of the homes. And they don't know how to, I ain't gonna say they don't, they don't know how to speak up for themselves, but a lot of times when they do, it lands on deaf ears. Um, so, you know, is the system is messed up all the way around. Um, if rather we just on the outside, on the inside, there's nothing great or good other than the men and women that actually go in, um, bond with each other in their own brokenness, rehabilitate each other. The system didn't rehabilitate me. Um, it was, you know, my elders like Daryl, uh, Ronald Simpson Bay, Earl Burton, Perry Coleman. Those were the folks that said that gave a damn about me while I was in there. But I didn't get nothing from the system. I watched more black men die that I have ever seen in my life. And I'm east side of Detroit, gang bang, all of that, right? But I've seen more black men die while I was in prison than I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, the food, everything that we was fed, my body hurts today because of a mattress that I was laying on for almost a decade of my life, right? So there's so much violence that is happening within um, our systems of, of corrections and our prison systems and so much more. And if we, if it wasn't like, you know, myself, the Hakeem, the Daryls and everybody else that come out and be vulnerable enough to tell our stories, we would just allow these things to continue to happen, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, encourage the community, encourage, like, you got somebody that's coming out of prison, sit down and talk with them and and understand what it, the trauma that they had to go through in order to be, quote, unquote, rehabilitated. When we have people that's coming back from war, we don't send them back to Iraq or back right. to Iran or Afghanistan to work on their PTSD or to right. work on anything else that's mentally disturbing them. But when we look at black and brown bodies, especially in Detroit, Generational trauma is answered by sending a person, man, woman, or child into a system of corrections. Um, and it's the same thing with, you know, where's the biggest mental health institutions right now? There are county jails. If you want to kick dope, if you want to get off crack, heroin, um, meth, or any of these other things, where do they send these folks? Straight to the jails. If you And there's more dope. <laughs> ain't, this ain't exaggeration. Right. There's more dope inside of our jails and our prisons. And we seeing it. It's coming in our newspapers, on our media. Nobody's asking a damn question. Well, who's putting all this dope inside of the jails and the prisons in the first place? It ain't us. Right. So somebody's profiting off of that. And, you know, it's a it's a strong money game. And we know what we up against. So continue to build power. Um, the brother Teferi asked, how can we we help the sister Kimberly? She has an organization. She's with Michigan Liberation, but she has her own org, uh, which I'm super proud of. It's called Redeeming Kimberly. You can look that up. You can Google it, Facebook it, um, Instagram it. Hit me up. I'll connect you with it. Um, but she, Kimberly is on a, on a damn mission. Um, and as a black woman, like we all have to stand behind more black women that's like her to elevate her voice, elevate her work and uh, her integrity to just want to make this change. I've heard so many years about the change of truth and sense since like I've never been It's like, oh, yeah, OK, we'll see how this is going to go. But the ideas that she is coming with, I really believe, you know, it's going to be on the ballot this year, as Daryl said, not because we're going to go in there begging, but because we're going to make somebody put this on the ballot. And it's time for that change is 
this is draconic that we even have to have like a conversation about men and women that are incarcerated and trying to save their life so that they can't come home and show us that they're you know redeemable for a second chance um it should just be something that's right but we know we're dealing with a mindset that's draconic it's devilish it's not right and yeah we you know all of us are in our lanes and continue to push that power on folks and make change happen this year yeah um, Daniel. Um, I'm deeply honored to be here on tonight. I have learned and have been edified by all that I have heard on tonight. Um, I would just like to offer three things. Number one, um, we are only as close as the ground that we have in common. And so as leaders and generals and soldiers in this, we need to make sure that we continue to find more common ground mm -hmm. so that we can do this work collectively. Um, power concedes nothing without a demand. Mm -hmm. We must be more demanding in the making of this demand. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that needs to look like but it can't look like what has been here before. We must be willing to meet the moment. How do you turn a moment into a movement? We got to meet that moment mm -hmm. and we can't miss it. I think we missed a moment at the beginning of COVID and we were not able to capture momentum. Certain things in life take momentum. It's not gonna happen through muscularized power. It's gonna have to be a momentum that happens. And if we meet the moment and don't miss it, the winds of change will blow for us and we'll capture that momentum. And we will have turned that moment into a movement and things will change, hopefully, in our lifetime yeah but if not in mine definitely in the generation behind me yeah well one thing that you everyone touched on tonight that this is a uh, uh, election season and governor whitmore ran on prison reform and she ran on criminal justice reform so it's time to really, you know, with everything that we've been experiencing through this COVID season and pandemic, it's time to hold her accountable for those things that she said that she was going to reform and change. Um, we have people, uh, I looked at the numbers and it's like almost 29,000 people who are uh, um, experiencing um, COVID inside the Michigan Department of Corrections. 30,000 people when there's only 45,000 total. So that's that's a lot. And that's showing uh, me it's, and who was speaking about it when Gerard was in there a year ago, that nothing much has been done to eliminate those numbers. And so we have people that are sick and that are, you know, might not ever get well from that. So there, there's so much that we... Um, have to do to change the situation in the Michigan Department of Correction. But also we can all agree on that Heidi Washington must go. 
She was a leftover from um, the Steiner administration. So it's like, why is she even still here is another question. But, you know, but not with only her being a Republican, but also with what's going on inside. She's not doing her job. And if you're not doing your job, you know, it's time for you to lose your job. So I'm I'm all for, you know, us, you know, standing up on that, you know, going to the house or however we need to move to shut to get some attention on um her showing showing a light on her because her, her she has um spokespersons who do all the talking. You don't never see her speak on anything or make any comments on everybody speak but Heidi Washington. So it's time for her to have some accountability and to address the problems that's going on. Go ahead, Trisha. <laughs> you, you know, look like, like you was gonna say something. That's what no, I I'm so I'm just so full and I'm so grateful um, for real for each of you. Like I, I and I gotta connect with um, Brother Brent and Brother Ishmael. You know, I'm just grateful for these generals. All of you are Nick, just Shawana. I mean, Hakeem, everybody on here, I'm so grateful for because um, I've worked with you all individually. I see your passion. I see the pain. I see the struggle. But but what I see most is the continuation of the work, the continuation of the work. And that's just so important. And I really don't have much to say just because I'm full. I'm just off of everything that everybody else has said. I think, you know, Pastor Brent just shut it down for me there. So <laughs> I'm just... um sitting feasting on that and just walking away thinking, what can we all do? We can do something and the best way to do it is together. Yes. King, do you want to leave us with something? <clears throat> I'd just like to leave and conclude with, uh, you know, we talk about justice. You know, we know we've seen that comparison with the word just us. We understand, as, as, as Nick laid out, who we find in the prison system is just us. And there's a connection that was made earlier to literacy, right? Remember, we talked about years ago, a couple of decades, when we first started to have a discussion about there was a connection between literacy levels and ultimate the ultimate building of the prisons, the preparation in the future for who would be incarcerated. While I was incarcerated in the 90s and 2000s, I happen to be an academic tutor inside the prison system. And I happen to be able to see the test scores of men who were having coming in the prison system testing at third and fourth grade reading levels, math scores at fourth and third grade. Up to 75% of the people who were incarcerated were high school dropouts. So there's an ultimate connection between literacy and incarceration. So when we talk about all these issues that are on He's frozen. <laughs> I can't just get into the good part. Right. <laughs> that was too much truth right there. <laughs> Go ahead, Rabbitia. To ha see if Hakeem. I, I, I was hoping Hakeem would I could you know the technology just couldn't handle all that at one time it just couldn't it was it was too it was too hot it was too hot you know i i am um so privileged honored and i just i am i'm like trisha i'm i'm full 
my cup is full right now. It's full though because I, I'm really believing beyond the shadow of a doubt, and I'm expecting change. And I, I'm knowing that this will happen because I know that we can go ahead and implement some steps now. You know, like report cards for our leaders so that we can see who's doing what. What kind of grade do they get for the position that they hold? What kind of ethical decisions do they make? Do they get A, B, C, D, or F? We got so many Fs to, to pass out right now as far as to civic leaders. Um, what, who do they serve? How are they serving? The other thing is, you know, I got to remember, like... Uh, Malcolm X, when they asked him, they before uh, after he had come back from Mecca, they asked him, "If you had to do it all over again, what would you do different?" And he said, "Well, if I had to do it all over again, before I organized, I would educate. Mm -hmm. Before I organized, I would educate." And I want people to know that this platform right here and right now is about educating the community yeah. so that we can organize effectively. Yeah. Not only, we're not asking for change, we are expecting change and we are demanding it now. I just thank God for everybody here and I want you to know that the fire that is put in you is here for a purpose. Your purpose is now. And you are most needed for this dispensation. I love each and every one of you. Yes, I was trying, waiting for Dora Woods to pop back in here. <laughs> Dora Woods, would you like to leave us with something? What they said. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm going to give uh, to Ferry. The last, less Nicholas, less you have something. Um, yeah, just real quick. Uh, just recently, I took a trip to Ghana and had an opportunity to be deeply in the villages with uh, with our people. And, you know, at this, the motherland is a very beautiful place, but to understand how colonialism has ripped this place apart and that we are all the product of colonialism now. Um, it's sad, right? And so it just, it takes me back to this mandate um, that comes from, uh, I believe her name is Mary Hooks, um, belong to an organization called Song, which is Southerns on New Ground, um, out of Alabama, I believe. But she says, um, the mandate for Black people at this time is to avenge the suffering of our ancestors, to earn the respect of future generations and to be willing to be transformed in the service of the work. And this is what we're doing, right? We're being, we're not only being transformed in the service of the work, but we're transforming our community. We're avenging, we're avenging our ancestors because what they have been through and to continue to see how this system is perpetuating our black bodies into harm. Uh, we can only un uplift our ancestors and our blackness and everything we've been through. And if we don't do this, we're going to lose our future generation. Um, as the brother Hakeem said before, he was just really interrupted by technology today. <laughs> How dare technology? Um, you know, systems, these prison systems have, they, those politicians, those people in power, they know how many prisons to build 10, 20 years down the line, you know, based off of our education level, our reading level. And, mm -hmm. you know, just throw a monkey wrench into this whole conversation. We just seeing, you know, we're continuously to see what's happening in the Flint. 
with the lead in the water. And now that that's spreading across the state with Ben Harbor um, and many other black areas, right? Um, if, to understand what lead does to a child's brain, it yeah. puts them in this risk, having a 65% chance of going into prison by the right. age of 25. Mm-hmm. Our, those people know that already by right. research. That's right. And they, they allowed that to happen. They intentionally did not stop it. They intentionally did not fix it because they want this state to be a prison state. And this is how a lot of things are being funded is through the incarceration of young black people. So just throwing a monkey wrench in there. Y'all see this thing about lead and why folks ain't moving that fast. It's not just in Michigan. It's across this whole damn continent. And it's in a lot of areas where black and brown uh, populations are real heavy where we see a lot of black people with. Yeah, you're right, Nick. Trisha, um, do you have something before I'm gonna let to to Ferry have the last word? Go ahead, Trisha. Um, I just wanted to remind everybody, please, please, please grab yourself and three people and meet us on Sunday, January the 16th at 12 noon. We need all hands on deck. You know, if nothing else, I never forget when we went to Adrian. I got some calls from a friend of mine. Shout out to Dennis Vizi, Free the Vizi Brothers. Um, but they said, "Man, when y'all came through here, it put a battery in our back." And we just want to go, if nothing else, and just show the women some love and serve folks notice that we ain't going away. We're going to continue to mobilize, increase our numbers, and do what needs to be done to keep women safe and to allow the prison system to be, well, first of all, I should be gone. So let me just be quiet on that. But we got to keep people safe while they're in there. And we just need everybody to come out on Sunday and stand with us. Not this Sunday, next Sunday, January 16th at 12 all right. Anybody else before Tafiri come? Come on. All right, go ahead. No, I, I just want to support uh, Sister Trisha, and I, I think that should really be the final word. And Nick and Daryl, make sure y'all drag me, wake me up, bust me in the head, make sure I'm up there supporting our sisters on January 16th. Y'all just remind me, cuss me out, dog me out, whatever. Make sure I'm there to support the sisters. On uh and uh, on January 16, twenty two, I'm putting it in my calendar, so uh, you know I'm I'm gonna make sure we as a community we're there supporting that cause, and then let's make sure we add a uh, sister rem- uh let's join remembering Kimberly that Facebook page, and let's make sure we add like I just added to my uh to my Facebook page <laughs> for SB six forty nine. I'm real big on policy and actions. So that's, you know, I think that's a tangible action. Let's support SB 649, sign this petition, support Sister Kimberly and her wonderful work and join her page. And I'll make sure that I am there on January 16th. God bless you. Thank you so much, Sister J. Love, for your leadership and for bringing us all together. Uh, I'm honored and privileged to be in this space with so many wonderful servants and soldiers for God and for our people. And I just want to thank you so much, Sister, for your leadership. All right. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining me on Turning a Moment into a Movement. Miss um, uh, Trisha Duckworth put the uh, address in the comments. And uh, we'll be back sometime officially around the end of the month. But if we need to pop in, we will pop in. <laughs> we do that. But thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone. And um, peace and love. He said, J Love. <laughs>